0: today so you can go to page 259 in your blue bibles the text will also be on the screen Uh, sometimes with people uh, you get a very general picture of who they are uh, but it takes time to get to know them specifically you listen to their stories get to hear more about them and then the 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 picture of who they are gets more colored in Uh, that was true for me with my grandfather my grandfather passed when I was 10 and as a child I had a very general picture of who he was I knew he was kind of this titan-esque type figure in our family. I knew that he was a good man, a respected businessman. Uh, but as a child, there's only so much you can know about the depths of your grandfather. He passed away. And then, and the years that followed, I got stories passed down to me. I got to learn more about him. I got to hear from my grandmother while she was still alive, stories about who he was. I got to hear from my, my mom, from different people who knew him, from people that worked for him. Uh, I mean, even... Uh, uh, he's been gone for almost 20 plus years and about a month ago I went to a place to get my haircut that I don't normally go to and I sat in the chair and this woman in her 70s started cutting my hair and we started chatting it up and sure enough she cut my grandfather's hair all those years ago and gave me more stories of who he was uh, and, I, and it helps complete the picture for me of who my grandfather was that happens with people as you can know them generally, but you get to know more about them, you hear their stories, you get to know them more specifically. And the same is with our God, as what we're going to see in Psalm 19 this morning. It starts the psalm was going to start with this general picture of God as revealed in creation. The creation gives us a, a general picture of God, and that is known as the doctrine of general revelation. And then the next section we're going to see. That the word of God gives us a more specific picture. That the stories that have been passed down to us in the scriptures help give us a different picture. That helps fill in who uh, God is. And that's known as the doctrine of special revelation that we're going to see. And then the psalm is going to close out with what our response should be to this God. So, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into the text. Father, I thank you. Uh, that we get to worship you, that we get to sing praises to you, and we get to sit under the authority of your word. God, I pray this morning that you would help us be present, that you'd help us listen, that you'd help us respond uh, in faith and repentance and in praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be starting off in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the psalmist starts by saying, look up, see the heavens, see how it proclaims the glory of God. Now, glory is a hard word for us to conceptualize. It's a hard word for us to to really understand. Like I can tell you that it means his splendor, his majesty, the honor and deference that is due to him, but that's still abstract and hard to picture. But what we see here is that creation helps us picture glory. That, that God's creation helps us understand it further. That when you look at the heavens, and you, see, you can see that. When you look at a sunrise or a sunset, you can, you can visualize the glory of God. Like when I was uh, uh, in college, I did a study abroad program called Semester at Sea. And I traveled around the world on a ship. And uh, a lot of days on the ship, I'd sit out and look at the sunset that would drop into the ocean. And then I woke up for one sunrise. Because all I could muster in college just to get up For one sunrise. I have one sunrise and a bunch of sunsets. But man, when you see the sunrise and the sunset over the open ocean, it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. There's something uh, uh, transcendent, like surpassing about a sunrise and a sunset that everyone feels when you see it. That's why the author of Sherlock Holmes, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, when he is describing a sunrise, he says, How small we feel with our petty ambitions and strivings in the presence of great elemental forces of nature. Now, he's not a Christian. He was a, a, a philosophical rationalist. But he even says, in the face of a sunrise, how, how small and petty are our ambitions and our strivings. And he says, in the face of great elemental forces of nature, but someone who doesn't believe in God says, I feel small in the presence of something so big and he's tapping into something that we just understand there's a reason that we don't look at the sky and immediately think oh what a beautiful array of, of colors as the light is bending along the horizon like we don't go technical even the most hardened atheists would look up at the sky and have to suppress this impressive feeling of transcendence when you look at a sunrise and sunset that is glory. That's what that feeling is. It's we're tapping into the glory because creation declares the glory of God. The sunrise and sunset, the heavens, shows his handiwork. It reveals who the artist is. That's why when I'm with my kids and we're driving and we see a sunset, I say, kids, guys, look. Look at what God has painted for us this evening. How beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? to help us see and feel like this is the work of God on display. And it isn't just the day that reveals his glory. It's the night. In verse 2, it says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. The creation isn't just speaking, it's isn't just declaring, it's it's speaking, it's pouring forth knowledge. And and night to night, it's giving us more knowledge of who God is. Uh, a few months back, I think I mentioned this in a sermon a while back, that I was reading my Garden and Gun magazine, which is what I do these days. But I was reading it, and I learned that you could look at the, uh, the uh, that you could see the Milky Way with the naked eye in certain parts of the world that don't have light pollution. I was like, you can actually see this thing? I was like, that, goals, I'm in. Like, I, I want to do that. Like, you can, you can look at, uh, in certain parts of the world, just look up at the sky and see that. I mean, how unbelievable is that? That's, a, that's a, just a camera, you guys. Took that picture. The next one, that you can stare up at the heavens in a way that the psalmist probably would have. This psalmist, they don't have light pollution back then. They're not dealing with what we got right now. Hey, look at that in the sky when it's clear in certain parts of the year and see how powerful that picture is and feels so small. When you see something so beautiful, when you encounter this type of glory, you feel smaller and smaller, like you're part of something that is much bigger. Scientists will say that, uh, they, they say that the, it's debated, but the universe is somewhere around 93 billion light years in diameter. Okay, so a, a light year is six trillion miles. So 93 billion times six trillion equals a lot of math. And, and that's and they say that's the observable universe. Some theorize that it's it's even bigger than that. Like there's a, a new telescope that's out. This is kind of a new thing that's went online this week. Uh, the James Webb telescope took a picture that the Hubble telescope uh, uh, couldn't take as clear as this. And you, that that's an actual galaxy. That's, that's a that's a picture of God's grand creation. Like God made this. He he is bigger than this. When you catch a glimpse of that and his greatness and his vastness, you're tapping into his glory. You're witnessing the glory of his creation. The, The fact that our God thought this into existence, made this out of nothing, it's incredible. And that glory echoes across the world. In verse three it says, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. One commentator said it this way, that creation resounds with a speech that human beings can neither hear nor understand. We just, we can't wrap our minds around how big this is. The psalmist continues, In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. But the imagery being here that it got to set a wedding tent. The sun comes out like a bridegroom who after consummating his marriage is joyfully bursting forth every morn. And in verse 6 it says, Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, in Akkadian and uh, Sumerian mythology, which I'm sure is what many of you dabble in in your, in your spare time. But this is a, it's a dead, dead language, a dead religion, people group from you know, 3,000 years ago. But in their mythology, they, have, they, they would worship a sun god, and they would use very similar language like this. It would burst forth from the wedding chambers every morning. And, and, and commentators theorize that maybe the, the language being so similar here is a bit of a shot that God is bigger than that not an object that we worship as it comes forth every morning, that he stretched the tent out for it. He created all of it It stands over all creation. So, this first section of the psalm poetically paints the picture known as general revelation, a doctrine of general revelation. That when you look at the heavens, you gain knowledge of his power, of his wisdom, of his beauty, of his majesty, Just by witnessing creation. That's why in verse 2 it says day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. That that creation gives us a, a general picture of who God is. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans 1. In Romans 1 verses 19 and 20 he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. What he's trying to help us see is, is that when you look at creation, when you witness this, that you're getting a general glimpse of the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and his divine nature is evident in creation. It is why even the most hardened atheists can look at a sunrise and, and, and feel something, and feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Feel like that, that, that what they're seeing and what they're witnessing is transcendent, which shouldn't even exist for their understanding and their worldview. It is because creation points to its creator. That's why he goes on to say they're without excuse, that when You experience creation. You have a general understanding and a knowledge of who God is. No matter how hard we try to explain that away as some result of crazy cosmic chance, no matter how hard we try to explain the beauty of of that, of a sunrise and a sunset, as some subjective experience, no, this points to our God. Now, let me say one last thing on this. For the Christian that is... Witnessing this, this helps us picture glory better. This helps us understand glory better. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves said, but nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. Meaning that looking at nature helped him understand glory better. I still do not know where else I could have found one. I do not see how the fear of God could ever could have ever meant to me anything but the lowest prudential efforts to be safe, if I had never seen certain ominous ravines and unapproachable crags, which is really thick C.S. Lewis philosophical language. But what he's saying there is, is I wouldn't have understood glory. I wouldn't have understood the fear of God had I not looked at some of the scariest aspects of creation, the the, the ominous ravines and the unapproachable cracks what he's saying is is that creation that nature helps us understand this that the sunrise and the sunset helps us see the divine beauty of God that when you witness a very powerful storm and the fearfulness I remember uh, years ago I was camping on Lake Murray and we were on a tiny little island and a storm blew through and it blew our campsite into the water and we get pounded by wind and rain and thunder and lightning all around and I felt so small and helpless, and that was just a small, tiny taste of the power of God. And that helps us picture, helps us feel, and helps us understand what the fear of God and the glory of God is. So as Christians, listen, this means you should get outside a little bit, all right? Seriously, get off, get off the phone, put down the game controller, get out of the meta, whatever it is, whatever your speed is. And go experience God's creation, like see it and witness it so that we can have a better feeling, understanding for glory. So he walks through that, gives us this general picture of God. And then he gets to the next section, which is going to be a more specific picture, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous all together so while creation gives us this general picture picture the scriptures are going to color that in. It's going to give God definition. It's going to help us see the hows and the whys in understanding who our God is, which I appreciate. That helps, the scriptures helps us really enjoy God better. Like years ago, growing up, uh, there was a big song when I was a kid called Closing Time, right? Love that song, right? And, and, and as a kid, really enjoying it, good song, but later, years later, the, the songwriter, the lead singer said, listen, I, I wrote that song, about becoming a father. That it's not about closing time at a bar. It's about becoming a father where the next chapter of your life is about to start and it's going to be very different. That's why he ends the song saying every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And I was like, man, when you understand the, the depth and the commentary behind that, that's powerful. It helps us appreciate it better. That's what the scriptures help us do. It helps us see and savor God in new and better ways. And in this poetic section we just walked through. There are six synonyms for the scriptures. It says the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, and rules. So we're going to work through each of these. He says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So the law there is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. So it'd be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was, at the time, That was their scriptures. Later on, more Old Testament scriptures are starting to be added. But for them, in this time period, they're looking at the law, which is their scriptures. And the psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. It is blameless. And we look as Christians at the scriptures, the very Bibles that are in this room. We say it's perfect. And When we say that, there is skepticism that creeps in. Some people will say, yeah, how do you know it's perfect? You don't even have the original manuscripts. And the reality is, is that the longer I study this, the longer I I study the scriptures, the more unbelievably compelling this case is, how trustworthy and perfect and true they are. That's why we use words like inerrancy and infallible. Because even though we don't have the original manuscripts, but there are more manuscripts, more copies of the scriptures than any ancient text, and it's not even remotely close. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of those manuscripts all around the world, and now digitized on the internet. And when you overlap each of them, okay, over 99% of it lines up perfectly. I mean, think about 2,000 years or 1,500 years of a copying tradition. And that lines up perfectly in the less than 1% where this word is used here and this word's used here. There's an unbelievable tradition of scholars who are way, way, way smarter than me that have studied the original languages their whole life and they come up with really helpful explanations for why there's some differences there. It's unbelievably trustworthy and true. And then other skeptics will come in and say, well, what about the contradictions in the Bible? And I just say, well, where? Show me. Point them out. And a lot of times, they get on you know Google, find them. But you can work through each of those, work through each of the things. You get the, the commentaries out and some some closer study and, and basic logic. You can work through a lot of them. Remember, in college, I studied uh, religion at a at a at a school that did not believe the scriptures were true um, at all, and they knew I was I, I, I did. And one of my professors, uh, she came at me real hard one time. She's like, Oh, you believe the Bible's in error, right? All right, well, tell, you, tell, me, tell me the story of Noah. Did they load up two by two, or was it seven? And as a new Christian, I was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I said, I not know. But a little closer study realizes, Oh, wait, no, they, they did load up two by two, and they added seven of clean animals. Why? Because those were for sacrifices they were going to offer later when they got off the boat. God didn't want to have. These species go extinct. Just basic stuff like that. A closer study of the text over and over and over again. The longer I study the scriptures, the more I realize the law of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. It revives the soul. Like, Like someone wandering in the desert with cracked lips. Thirsty. And they stumble upon an oasis. And they drink of the water. So the scriptures revive the broken soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. He goes on to say, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's trustworthy. It's a trustworthy thing, it is secure, it means you can bank your life on it. We as Christians believe that. We believe that our life, our authority is God in the scriptures. It's God's word that shapes us. It's our foundation for how we live our life. And some people would say, well, why would you choose something so old, so ancient, so archaic? Why can't you get with the times? Why can't you have a more updated understanding? And when that happens, a good thing to do is, okay, well, what, what is your foundation for belief? What is your foundation for how you live your life, for how you understand the bigger things in life? And if you can ask some questions like, why? Well, where do, you, where do you get that from? Well, why? And press in a little further. There's typically two main places where the skeptic will land. It will land that they are their own authority, which is what I, it's what I believe. Well, they are their own authority, or they place their authority in a, hand, uh, a, a just a few different, mostly dead, older white guys, Darwin, Nietzsche, Freud, but it's like, no, I, I, I believe that our foundation is more secure than that. I believe wholeheartedly that, that the scriptures that have guided the people of God for thousands of years still holds immense value. Like last summer, we spent a summer in the Proverbs. And we looked at the, the Proverbs, which are, uh, they're not promises. They're, they're proverbial advice, guidelines for how to live your life so that you can stay out of poverty, so that like a passionate lover doesn't try to kill you. You know, basic advice for life. We looked at that, and it's like, no, this is wisdom that is worth building your life upon. And if you do that, it generally goes well for you. There are a lot of young guys who just lost all of their life savings on NFTs. And if you wanna know, if you don't know what NFTs are, it's okay, you never need to know what NFTs are. Just, it's basically a Ponzi scheme for people under the age of 40 that like really bad digital art, okay? Gambling on that kind of stuff, but they lost everything on that, and it's like if you just paid attention to the wisdom of the scriptures, which Proverbs thirteen eleven says, wisdom or wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Man, if you built your life upon that, it generally will go better for you. That's worked well for the people of God for the last three thousand years. So when I was researching NFTs, I was like, oh, this feels kind of schemey this feels a little bit, honest of God. if you build your life upon it, it is trustworthy and true. Verse eight, he says, "The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing, the heart. The precepts, these are the rules. they are right. that if you live your life in line with the will of God, you'll get more than happiness as the American dream defines it. You'll tap into some eternal joy that rejoices the heart. He goes on to say, the, 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 uh, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The, the commandments of the scriptures, the teachings where God commands us to do a thing, that's actually pure and good for us and it opens our eyes to what is ultimately good. Uh, one of my friends from, uh, from study abroad, uh, her husband, uh, is, uh, he, he got an acting role on a, on a TV show that just got released, and I've been watching, them, we're Facebook friends, I've been watching them post about it all the last year. He's like, I'm gonna be in a show with Chris Pratt. I was like, sweet. So I, I turned it on, I watched the, it just dropped on Amazon, the terminal list. I watched the first couple episodes, I saw him in the first episode. I was like, man, this is awesome. And then I was like, oh, this, this is just gonna be a super violent show where he just brutally murders everyone who wronged him. I got looked at it ahead of time. I knew there wasn't like sex or nudity and stuff that wouldn't be good for my soul, but I didn't fully realize it was just gonna be completely vengeance. He's gonna brutally murder everyone. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I, I I don't need this. Because if you have a framework for your life that says, if you if you basically, if you the prism for how you lived your life was basically two basic commands: love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love other people, your neighbor, enemies, etc. If you love God and love other people and that was how you made decisions you'd realize there's certain things like nah this doesn't actually help me love God does this actually inspire anything that is good for my soul I'll I'll pass It's because the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever now we don't normally see fear as a synonym for scripture but here it fits and it's like, oh, this is what he's getting at. The, the fear of the Lord is clean. And what this is tapping into is that the scriptures help us fear God. Now, over the last 20-ish years in the American church, there's been like a, a, an attempt to say, well, fear of God. When the command says fear God, that it, actually what it's getting at is it's just, what, it's just saying worship him. Just revere him, reverence and awe and worship. And it's like, no, not quite. Yes, it does imply that. Fear is is worship and awe and reverence. But it also means what it literally says, fear. there's There's a command here to fear God. It is good for us to fear the Lord. Yes, he is gracious and good and kind and merciful and all of those attributes. And also, he is the scariest object in the universe. He should be feared above all things. We should absolutely see that because it is clean and endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. That's highlighting more of the same things that we just walked through. So that's how he paints the scriptures with these pictures. They help us understand God, they help us build our life on something bigger and then in verse 10 he summarizes more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb moreover by them is your servant warned and keeping them there is great reward he says they're more desirable than gold gold was the most valuable the most valuable objects of their time honey they didn't have sugar cane like us That was the sweetest thing of their time. So he says, the scriptures are more valuable than the most valuable object you could lay hold of. It's sweeter than the most sweetest thing you can taste. That's what George was tapping into last week when he said, delight in the law of the Lord. There is, listen, there is immense value. There's immense value in experiencing our creator and his word. By enjoying our God, by reading the message of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. By these scriptures, we are warned and we are rewarded. The scriptures color in this picture wonderfully. We get this general, big picture of who God is when we look at creation. And then it gets further colored in and we get to see more of who our God is and why he made us and why he would redeem us and how he redeems us as we look at the scriptures more and more. And if we do that, if you, if you look at creation and see how big our God is and then look at the stories that are passed down, it'll help you understand our God better. In the same way that a 10-year-old can't understand their grandfather, they have a, a general picture stories being passed down and we have the scriptures that are passed down to us that help us picture who this God is just look at the gospels y'all look at the stories of Jesus over and over again there's so many stories about our God in the flesh that are just wonderful like I think about Jesus when he heals the leper in Matthew 8 when when, when this man that has leprosy comes to him and it wasn't just that he had a disease that needed to be healed That he was seen by his culture as disgusting and dirty and had to live outside of the people of God. He couldn't be in community with other people. That he comes to Jesus and Jesus puts his hand on him and says, be clean. And he heals him. And changes that man's life. And that story happens over and over and over again. Even in a more spiritual reality now. For those of us, those of us who feel dirty and broken. and In need of redemption. He cleanses us through his righteousness and his blood. When I think about Jesus on the cross. And he is dying. And he says, Father forgive them. They know not what they do. I look at that and say, how could you say that? Jesus, they're murdering you. You're talking about people who are murdering you and you're concerned about their forgiveness. How beautiful is that? How glorious is that? I think about even smaller stories where Jesus, uh, even after his resurrection, he's at the end of the Gospel of John. He has this moment with Peter and James and John where he's about to teach Peter about the need for shepherding. But they're, they're on the boat and they're fishing and they see Jesus on the shore. This is before he ascends into heaven. They see him on the shore, and they come ashore, and it's just a simple picture of Jesus making breakfast for them. He's cooking fish for them, which is not my kind of breakfast, but if Jesus was doing it, I'm in. And he, just a simple, i kept—he could, he's the God of the universe. He could have done it anyway, but he's simply humbly making them food. I mean, do they're love. Yes, there is story after story after story after story that helps us see how good our God is, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how glorious he is, and how better it is to live with him into eternity. And when you finally understand that, when you see the general picture of God in creation and are overwhelmed by his glory and you mind the scriptures to see who our God is, your only response should be how this psalmist finishes. 12 through 14. Here's how he responds. Who can discern his heirs? That's rhetorical. Nobody. Who can discern his heirs? Who can call out God? He says, declare me innocent from head and faults. He says, God, Declare me innocent of the sin that I cannot see. And then he goes on to say, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So he says, keep me from the hidden sins that I cannot see and keep me for the, from the willful sins. I, I don't want any of it. The stuff that I, I, I can't see, the willful ones that I do, God, keep me from all of my rebellion. Don't let that have dominion over me He says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then he goes on to finish this off with this unbelievably poetic and powerful request. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He says, God, let everything my thoughts, the meditations of my heart, let the words that come out of my mouth, let everything, let all of it be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the God who created the universe and created me and has every fiber of my being. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a powerful prayer. And as Christians, read this psalm this side of the cross and empty tomb we know how to do this and it's as simple as Romans ten nine. because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved that is how we are blameless before the Lord when you encounter how big God is and how glorious God is, and you realize how much we've sinned against Him, how unacceptable on our own we are before Him, when you realize how our sin earns death and and hell, when you realize that part of the gospel, and then you encounter how much He loves us because of His great love, the only reasonable response to the gospel is this it is throwing our lot in with this god and saying i believe in you my rock my redeemer y'all we as americans are so unbelievably blessed to have access to god where we can look up at the heavens and see the glory of god and have a a bible on our phone we have unbelievable access to our god and if you're figuring this out if you're feeling out Christianity, you're not sure about this yet, I invite you, look up at the stars. See the unbelievable design of this universe. I mean, look at the, the earth and how it's perfectly positioned from the sun at the right distance with the right tilt all the way down to how our, the cells in our body are designed and how the, like our eye and the complexities, look at all of it and see. This points to our Creator and then I invite you from that position come to the scriptures and see who he is and if you are a Christian witness creation and worship him search the scriptures and delight in him don't miss that life is busy okay it is boom 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 death that's that's it It moves very, very quickly, and we as Americans are very, very busy and fill our days with all kinds of things. Don't miss this that when you're driving into work and you're concerned and worried about the things you got to do at work and you see the sunrise coming up over, don't miss that. Look at that sunrise and be reminded of how big and how glorious, how majestic and how amazing our God is, and respond like this psalmist when he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. See the sunrise and go, God, you're so big and you're so glorious. God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for loving me with a fierce, unbelievable love that I don't deserve. That when you look out in your yard, and you see the birds mining the grass for food every morn. Remember that God provides for His creation. Look at the scripture. Remember, the, remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6? That's a picture of how God provides. That He provides, He takes care of His creation. That when you are in a storm and your house is shaking, or an earthquake, because that's a thing here nowadays. (laughs) When you feel that and you feel scared, let that roll up into what the psalmist says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let that fear roll up into, God, you're so big, you're so powerful. Don't let the hidden faults or my willful sin against you no, don't, don't let that roll over me. Let that roll up into worship and praise and obedience that comes from a position of deep love for God. Tonight, as the moon rises, I think it's a full moon, maybe. As it rises up over the horizon, you see it against the backdrop of the stars and you see how big and vast this universe is. And you think about that the God who made all of that, who stands over all of it, knows every part of who you are, knows your past, your present, your future, and holds it all in his hands. Respond like the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let creation and the beautiful word of God Help us worship our glorious God. The band's going to come up. I'm going to sing one final song. We worship our God because he's worthy of it. Because of how big and how glorious he is. And my hope for us this morning is that we'd be so overwhelmed by that be so overwhelmed by how good our God is, by how glorious our God is, by how mighty our God is, by how perfect our God is. And as we sing songs that are based upon the scriptures, that we be reminded of the good news of the gospel. And if you're not a believer, I pray that right now you'd be so overwhelmed by how good and how glorious our God is that you would worship him for the first time through faith, repentance, And then if you have questions, come and talk to me. If you are a Christian, now is our time to worship. And let the joyful praise that we end with send us out into the world as people who are overwhelmed by how big God is in creation and overwhelmed by how gracious he is in the scriptures. That is the calling of the people of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 19. Thank you for the pictures that you give us. And I pray that you'd help us worship you this morning. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't believe that they would be so overwhelmed by who you are. I thank you for being a creator and a redeemer and our God. Help us join in creation that declares your glory this morning in Jesus' name.